Welcome to the Humor in Games podcast, an analog and video games podcast about how humor is experienced, designed, and analyzed in games. We are Scott DeYoung, Mark Lajeunesse, and Andre Zanescu, and we'll be your guides in this six-episode series. Throughout each episode, we'll break down different theories and forms of humor. We'll draw on interviews with designers, critics, and academics as they discuss the different aspects of humor, their own lived experiences, and how their work utilizes humor in games. Today we chat with Dr. Brendan Keough, a games critic, journalist, and academic from the Queensland University of Technology. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with games, um, either as a scholar or as a practitioner? My name is Brendan Keough. I'm a research fellow in the Digital Media Research Centre at Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia. Um, primarily, I'm a, I suppose, researcher and critic of the game industry and game culture and whatnot. I'm also, I also dabble in amateur, I would say, game development on the side, um, which I started doing a few years ago while I was teaching game design at a small college here. Um, started trying to do like a game a week kind of project where I just made tiny, trashy games just to get better at making games. So that's what I do. I research the game industry, I research game development, and I do a little bit of it myself. That's fantastic. That's a great answer. Um, <laughs> And a bit more on on the personal side, since we are talking about humor and things that are funny, um, what is what's a game that's funny to you or humorous is maybe a better way of going about this? Yeah, um, I guess like I'm afraid everyone's going to give you this answer, but I suppose the an obvious one from recent years is Untitled Goose Game. From last year which was made um actually by some friends of mine down in melbourne and it's still surreal how popular it got but um i find and this will probably come up in some of the future questions but what i find really fascinating about untitled goose games is it's one of the only games i don't know if i can defend this statement but it's one of the only <laughs> games i think that actually is intrinsically funny that it's not just a game that works as a platform from which funny things sometimes happen but which is kind of designed down to its bones to be hum- humorous and to be comedic down to like, you know, in terms of animation, timing, pacing, just designed to be funny as opposed to just sometimes funny things happen. And so I find from a design angle that to be really interesting about Untitled Goose Game. So I think it is a funny game. It's good slapstick humor. It's good Australian larrikin humor, um, which is kind of a cultural identity thing in Australia, um, despite being based in Britain, like it's got that larrikin kind of sense to it. Um, yeah, so Untitled Goose Game would be my answer to that one. It's fantastic. And I can tell you, you're the first one to talk to us about Untitled Goose Game. Ah, there you go. Um, would, you, would you mind uh, talking a little bit more about that specific kind of humor? Or Yeah, for that's... sure. So... So yeah, so Untitled Goose Game, like, you know, it's a game about being mischievous, being kind of a prankster, like, it uses pretty, you know, well understood kind of, I suppose, immersive sim kind of mechanics or stealth game mechanics, you know, there's this sandbox of things you can pick up and things that interact with each other in different ways, and you use that to get to your objective, and that's largely the same as Hitman or Metal Gear Solid or, you know, any of those kind of games, but because, you know, the... the both thematic context or fictional context of just you're a goose in the village and you're a jerk. Just 
every interaction you do, you're trying to do to see what funny thing happens, to see what silly, mischievous thing happens. And you can absolutely do that in Hitman. You can do that in Metal Gear Solid. You can see what happens. I don't know if you put the cardboard box in a certain place to see what the Russian guard does, but like, you know, it's not without getting into like authorial intent kind of issues. It's not what it's designed for. Whereas this game is designed for that mischievousness. So like, no matter what you do, whether you play the game well, playing the game badly, just mashing buttons, you're still a goose doing something funny, and that um, and that just works really well, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. uh, and I'm sure we will get a little bit more into sort of the theoretical implications mm-hmm. of how that works in a little bit. Sure. Um, sorry, did I did I cut you off? No, no, no. Sorry. Um, I, I suppose on a more general level, a question would be, you know, what does humor mean to you? Because we're talking about a game being humorous or a game being funny, but... What do you? How do you feel about it? Yeah. Um, so, like, what does humor mean to me? Just generally, not necessarily related to games. Or... Yeah, it does. Well, yeah. it can be for games. It doesn't have to be theoretical either. This can be just a very sort of yeah. visceral answer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I should have a good, like, articulate, you know, critic being able to put something ephemeral into words, kind of answer. But I don't. Just. Um, Things that are funny. <laughs> um, I honestly don't know if I have a good answer to that. Like, I mean, yeah, no, it, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid it's not something I've ever really thought about. How, like, I'd be very keen to hear if you'd speak to experts in humor what their answer is because I don't know. Um, it, it feels often uh, among the people that we've talked to that there is this sort of you know it when you see it quality. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it varies so much between different people, which is why we, we always ask in case you know we, yeah. we get a, a new answer of something that appeals to someone. Yeah. I mean like yeah, I can definitely like know it when I see it. And I guess like some of my favorite styles of humor would be the like almost like self knowing humor, like a huge fan of the moments in Brooklyn nine nine where like they just say what the joke was. Like the jokes happened, you've laughed at it. And then Jake Peralta will just be like, I'll just explain the joke and like that gets me like twice as much as the joke itself. So just that kind of like, I don't know, explaining what the joke was like. That's the joke. Um, I don't know. For some reason, that's humor for me, but I couldn't tell you why. I mean, that that's fine. Also, I suppose there is a quality of sort of the real joke is not even the first joke. It's the it's the entire process of explaining it and how painful it can be for other people who are around when that's happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, more on the development side, I think I went, I went through your itch library very quickly and there's a absolutely staggering number of games Uh for me anyways. (laughs) Um, and I suppose the question is how, if at all, do you approach, um, making your games funny? If there are Hmm. some that are intrinsically like, uh, untitled goose game, or if some just happen to be funny. Yeah, I thought about this after looking at the questions because I've never, I don't think I've ever really thought about my own games as trying to be funny, at least. Like, I don't think I've tried to make a funny game, or at least not in those words. So when you mentioned a few of my games in the email, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. 
But I think there are things I tried to do in my games that really closely aligned with humor or which um, facilitated humorous response. And, and I think part of that is just the trashiness of my games. They're very, you know, just make it quickly, get it out there. You know, it's done when the week is done. If I'm just sick of working on it, cool, just chuck it up. And they're more prototypes than anything. And so there's probably like a lot of them I was trying to think, what do I want to make a game about? And I was trying to think, not just I want to make a roguelike or I want to make a Dark Souls. So sometimes I do just want to do a genre clone. But sometimes it's about I want to make a game about playing fetch with my dog. All right, well, how does that normally go? I throw the ball. Sometimes he brings it back. The further I throw it, the less likely he seems to bring it back. He's a giant jerk. And like, so, you know, I've designed into that game kind of just randomness that sometimes the dog will chase after a ball and just sit down next to it and not come back to you. And it's really annoying and it's, it's kind of funny, I suppose. Um, but, but I guess I wasn't going out of my way to make a funny game. It was just making a game about that situation in real life, which of course happens to be funny. Um, and another one, I mean, Again, you mentioned the email, um, Beat, which is the game about just um, punching that Nazi dude. Um, what was his name? Who cares what his name was? Punching that Nazi dude in the face um, on Inauguration Day, which was like that great gif um, while he was speaking to an Australian news crew who should not have been speaking to him and just quite rightly got punched in the face and interrupted so he couldn't talk. And like that, you know, when that happened, that was the day I realized I'm not a pacifist. Um, but it was actually like, um, yeah, like actually, just really interesting for me in terms of figuring out my own politics. Um, and then I was, but then I had to really think through, well, why am I okay with this dude being punched in the face? I realized it was less of a violence and more of a humiliation, which I think was good about that. And there was a game jam, like about a punching Nazis game jam or something. And so I thought, well, if a point of it isn't the violence, but the humiliation of a picture, then what can I do with that picture to kind of capture that humiliation of this Nazi? And I was just turning that into a drum machine. So I did that. And yeah, and, and I guess like that is aligned with humor. But again, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but very much a laughing at somebody mean kind of humor um, quite deliberately. So yeah, so that's really interesting. Um, I feel like I'm just rambling and not answering your question. So no, that's, that's fine. And uh, actually, I, I mean, we don't have to go through these sequentially. I'd, I'd be interested in asking, I guess, two follow-up questions to, to mm -hmm. that and one is I, I feel like you may have answered a little bit but how do you feel like humor is inflected by politics because um i mean i i sympathize with your point of view on that whole affair but i know that some people don't so um do you feel like the humor in that is when you figured out your political leaning the game aligned with that very easily or was there a lot of question about who this might uh displease or not i don't i don't know yeah no totally like i mean like if i just made i just found a random video of somebody online being punched in the face and turned that into a game that's like all sorts of other issues with that like um yeah and, and like obviously that wouldn't be right for all sorts of reasons P politics absolutely comes into it where in, well, in this instance, at least, I guess I was using humor or humiliation as a deliberately political message, which was, you know, around the Trump inauguration, seeing the rise, the reemergence of fascism um, in a number of Western countries, including Australia, 
and being especially on the internet and in gang spaces and social media and being like well how do we how do we battle this and one of the key ways of battling it seemed to be well humiliating it showing just how absurd it is not letting um not letting these well-dressed little basement nerds um have the air of respectability that they're very very cleverly given themselves um you know like well it's like the one thing fascists are good at um and like yeah and like when this dude got punched in his face and you know we've seen a few other things like people being milkshaked in the uk and whatnot more recently it just it it, it gets rid of that authority that they've, that they've successfully tricked people into thinking they have um and more importantly just stops them speaking to the camera crew like that immediate this nasty should not be speaking to the camera crew punching him in the face stopped that and that's absolutely worth doing to stop that dude talk having a platform um yeah so sorry i still don't know if i'm answering your question but no, yeah, like that. you are so i mean and there's ob obviously a, a political dimension to what is funny to to you or to to me or or to other people is heavily inflected by how we feel about political events and what's going on in our countries and power dynamics yeah. in general. Yeah, and I think that's why I see in like AAA games or whatever, most common humor I think is just this like punching down um, pseudo satirical humor. It just hasn't figured out power exists yet. And like Grand Theft Auto is kind of a classic example where it's, you know, making fun of billionaire right-wing politicians and um, poor refugee communities with the exact same brush and like doing kind of satire, but doesn't seem in any way aware when that satire is actually directed at a meaningful target and when it's just punching down and not in any way helpful. And so you kind of get that conservative pseudo satire in a lot of AAA video games, I think, um, A, because for target audience, is 14 year old boys and B because year old boys um so um like who who were the 14 year old boys not very long ago yeah. so yeah and I think that's why that's still probably the most common kind of humor in, in at least AAA video games yeah so I mean maybe maybe we can jump into a little bit of the theory aspect because I feel like it dovetails so well with this discussion so I, mm -hmm. I'm not sure to to what extent you are familiar with theories of humor, but I, I feel like the points you've made glance at least over a, a few of them. So mm -hmm. we have superiority theory, which is laughing at things that we feel are inferior or generally making fun of things. Um, mm -hmm. There's in, incong well, incongruent type of humor or incongruency, but that I feel... <laughs> comes to at least in the beat game you know mixing up the political content with the beat with the drum machine is inherently incongruous in a way that is kind of evident to me mm -hmm. but one of the the pieces about superiority theory and relief theory which is sort of laughing to get stress out or to to react to something that is affecting you mm -hmm. there seems to be this undergoing current of aggression of laughter at things that are aggressive or violent. But in this case, it, it's such an interesting thing for me because the aggression is clearly directed against things that are not 
meritus of respect. So mm -hmm. fascism, for instance, is not something mm -hmm. that... And so it's a weird thing where I feel like very often we might think of superiority theory as something negative, as laughing, as punching down. This is not that, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have any kind of theoretical inclinations with how humor works for you in games or either in your games or games that you play, for instance? Yeah, um, I don't know if they're together enough that I would um, give them the credit of calling them theoretical. But like, I mean, for me, like, I think of, when I think about what's humorous in games or what's funny, there's like, pretty squarely get into different categories of either A, the writing is funny, like just simply, it's got a funny script, it's got funny dialogue, and it's kind of type, or I guess, mobilization of humor as you would find in film or a book or whatnot just that kind of just written humor or spoken humor um i think you know physics simulation is a huge one in games where either physics physics simulation happening how it's meant to or not happening how it's meant to in a kind of slapstick way um whether you somehow launch a car 10 stories in the air for because of a glitch or um i don't know to go to Grand Auto, even just like driving, driving a tank through Central Park or whatever, just is funny in some silly juvenile way, or maybe Saint and Saints Row, I guess, kind of takes that to a whole another level. Um, and then you've got like the glitch videos out of Skate Free that that um, for a bunch of YouTubers, but one I think Banana Rex was his name, who made, which is just. Um, yeah, just like glitching out Skate Free and just absolutely hilarious ways. And there's something slapsticky about that. I've seen like theoretical papers around it looking at it through like Buckton's idea of the carnivalesque, um, which is which is a theory. And you know, something about the weird body horror slash slapstick humor of just watching a skater's body go through a solid wall and get her out in a way it's not meant to and um land in a trash basket in some strange way. There's just something going on there that's interesting. Yeah. Um, had another one, but then I've lost it. What was it? Um, oh god, I think, yeah, and I guess, oh, yeah, and then there's ones that are kind of like laughing in the same way that, like, I guess a, a comedian will tell a joke that's deliberately self effacing so that you laugh at the comedian. There's kind of there are games that are very much laughing at the player in a way, and I think you know, Ben Foddy's getting over it is maybe a good example of that where um you know it just punishes you for the tiniest little mistake and then you spend the next 10 seconds falling down a hill and that kind of that kind of humor in games is very well facilitated in the current age where we've got where live streaming is a thing and where live streamers need a game that gives them an excuse to react 10 times more than anyone actually believably reacts to a situation. So games where bad things happen to the player are very good for facilitating that, and so are probably commercially a good idea right now, like Benefotti's getting over it, where you know there are reaction videos on YouTube of live streamers falling down the hill or whatnot. Um, so there's that kind of interesting humor where, it's the game, where it feels like the game is laughing at the player or pulling a prank on the player, which I find very interesting as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, I mean, to that point about sort of streaming spectatorship, do you feel like 
live streaming has changed the way that games are designed in terms of humor or the way that they produce humor, I guess, when they're being played? Yeah, definitely the way they produce humor. Um, probably in the way they're designed a bit, but, but in the way they produce humor, like in terms of, like live streaming isn't really about the games at all in most senses. It's about the game providing a platform for the performance of a live streamer that, that you're watching. And so you're there to laugh at a live streamer or you're there to actually use it just laugh at a live streamer or have a chat with the live streamer while they do something. Um, which like to me as someone in my thirties, I just don't understand at all. Like I just don't want to listen to some obnoxious dude talk. I just want to watch what the game looks like, but it's, it's a, it's an aspect of the game culture that I'm just entirely alienated from, which I just have to have to appreciate. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's massively changed how games are consumed, how games are designed in order to reach that audience, how games are marketed. So. Yeah, it's had a huge aspect on every aspect of games and absolutely humor as well. If for no other reason it means a game like Benefit is getting over it or a game like Goose Game um, or maybe even a game like Goat Simulator has has a long tail that it quite, quite possibly would not have had if we didn't have these live streaming slash let's play kind of cultures. Yeah. Hmm. I think that that's a fantastic answer. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I put a question in here that I wanted personally to ask you about, which is you've probably written more than anyone we know about Unity as a game platform. And mm -hmm. uh, we we read some of that book in a class uh, last year with Mia. And I'm I'm cool. curious if you feel like these these forms of design platforms, if that's the right way to refer to them. Mm -hmm also contributes to this change or if they if they're reacting to these new production paradigms for humor or if they're engaged with it somehow yeah it's a good question um i would suspect like i, I don't think like unity as a company is right hey we need to facilitate a particular kind of humor and games um that could be happening but i would be surprised but i think Platforms or game engines like Unity, like Find, like Unreal, like Bitsy, in at in different scales and different communities, have a massive influence in the aesthetics of contemporary games, the the tastes of contemporary games, um, just all sorts of different aspects of of contemporary game culture, essentially, in a way that's often not fully appreciated by playing audiences, I don't think. And and like I, I would like to compare it to say just how different camera technologies throughout the twentieth century and still today, you know, drastically influence, you know, visual aesthetics in, in film or um, I don't know, different fonts or printing technologies or influence what kind of books look like or how books are read. And and so well, what kind of music is made in a particular society or history. And so game engines are a massive part of that. And so I think like what Unity's done really well has it's provided a massive audience access to powerful 3D game development beyond kind of a professional space that previously wasn't accessible. That 
you know, there's been Game Maker, there's been RPG Maker, there's been Flash. But before Unity, there wasn't really the ability for um, hobbyists and amateurs to access 3D game development other than modding existing games, which was a massive thing. But with Unity, you've kind of just got um, access to a physics engine. You can just, and one of the key ways video games are funny is just crap goes flying everywhere. Um, so now with Unity, and I think the first thing anyone does with Unity, and it was for me, is put a bunch of cubes in a scene, you put rigid bodies on them, and rigid bodies are the element that means physics happens to a thing. And then you just run into them and watch all the cubes fall down. And it's amazing. It's, it's like playing Half-Life 2 for the first time again. And um, yeah, so now suddenly all these amateurs can just make a silly physics game that and chuck it on itch.io and people play it and it's funny. And there's another game made for the same Punching Nazis jam as I made where um, it's based on that old classic photo of, the, I think it was a Polish woman who was like smashing um, a neo-Nazi with her handbag from behind. I forget her name. <laughs> but um, there's a game on there where um, you just grab your handbag and you just whack these Nazis with your handbag and try to knock over as many as you can. Um, and, and it's great. And someone can just chuck that together in Unity really, really quickly. Um, oh, what was her name who made it? Um, yeah, Jane, Jane Friedhoff made that game. Um, if you want to find it. And yeah, so you have access to 3D physics, which means you can make that kind of slapstick humor kind of game. You have, um, and then something like Twine, you know, now people have access to making interactive fictions and you can use that to, you know, do a, tell humor through writing in a way that was previously maybe not very easy. Um, and I mean, I don't know if it would describe it as a funny game, but Chris Ligman's You Are Jeff Bezos. I don't, I've never actually had to say his name out loud before. The Amazon billionaire dude. Um, yeah. And so Chris's game where you just have to try to spend all his money, you know, is, is kind of funny in some ways. It's got humor in it. And that's just chucked together in twine, like this free interactive fiction software. So yeah yeah um yeah these, these platforms um influence the aesthetics of games of the day so they absolutely influence the humor in games of the day as well uh, it seems like it, it's altogether a a new form of literacy L learning the tool is like learning a new language that you're trying to make jokes in and so mm -hmm. i'm i'm curious this question is not on on the list at all but you've I mean, you teach students, and I know you interview a lot of amateur practitioners who are doing this kind of stuff. Have you found that humor or either humor as a direct object of, of their design or incidental humor is something that's a around a lot, that people are trying to make funny games or that they're, when they're experimenting with the technology, it just happens? Yeah. I think it's a bit of both. I think for a lot of students, so a lot of game design students, not all, but a lot, very much just come from a pretty classic gamer kind of background and cultural identity where they love playing games, games of their whole life. They finish high school and they're like, crap, I need to go study something. I'll study video games. And so you end up with a lot of students who have actually never seriously thought about what it means to make a game before, but who are just straight up gamers and, and often a lot of them like they turn out fine they're like 18 they you know everyone's horrible in they're 18 they, they've most of them figure themselves out 
but it means probably the main kind of humor they're interested in is memes and the kind of Grand Theft Auto punting down humor that I mentioned previously. And, and so that means a lot of them try to make funny games, but they're funny in a very boring way, just in a, hey, there is this meme, and now this meme is in my game, and it's like, awesome, I don't care. Um, and like, but like, that's fine, that's, you know, they are experimenting. H humor forms part of their drive to experiment of how to express themselves in games, and at that level, I think that's absolutely fine, and they, over time, will develop that into something more sophisticated in the same way that my early attempts at writing were all essentially Final Fantasy VII fanfic, whether I tried it to be or not. Um, and, but there's also exceptions to that. Like, I think one of the funniest game designers at the moment, um, who did most of her work when she was a student at RMIT in Melbourne is Grace Brooksner, who is responsible for the Frog Detective series. Um, and, and it's clearly something of a water in Melbourne because Grace Brooksner and House House and bunch of other developers of like Melbourne's just got the most amazing vibrant game scene and produces these very funny again kind of laric and humor kind of games. So so Grace's Frog Detective series has some of the best, funniest writing in games that I've seen for a long time. And yeah, she was but it wasn't the kind but she was pr producing that as a student, but very deliberately, very sophisticatedly, very she knew exactly what she wanted to do and, and she did it regardless of what her teachers wanted her to do and that's that's amazing so yeah, so universities kind of provide not universities but education programs provide that space to experiment with those forms of expression including humor and having access to tools like unity like twine and whatnot makes it much easier just to get to a point where you're telling the joke as opposed to coding all this infrastructure like you don't need to make a physics system before you make the physics joke or you don't need to make the interactive fiction puzzle, puzzle or whatever before you just write a joke into the interactive fiction engine. So yeah. it allows the people who aren't programmers to just make games a lot quicker. And thus, you're probably going to get the people who are interested in things whose, whose expertise is other than programming, but so maybe humor to, to produce games, essentially. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, on on the topic of sort of these alternative experimental educational spaces and the game jam. I think Mark had a question he might want to ask. Sure. Especially in relation to the Punching Nazis jam, which I look now, the actual title was Jam Fist into Nazi Spaces, which is funny as well. But yeah, like you don't want to make a game that just makes Nazism funny, or that makes the Holocaust funny, or something like that, right? Like that's obviously horrendous and not politically useful in terms of the clear, the explicit political alignment of that game jam. Whereas, going back to, I guess, what I was saying before is using humor to humiliate these, these people that need to be deplatformed effectively, that need to like people like. Um, Again, sorry, I'm not going to say the names because screw them. But like these, these quite popular within the alt right people who have built up that authority, just like humiliating them is a valuable political project. I think, especially, I, I think like this, what the alt right really benefits from in the internet age is a lack of literacy amongst every generation. I think in terms of like 
identifying who actually has the should have the authority to speak on certain subjects on like social media or on YouTube or whatever. And like, and I God, I'm just glad that like YouTube didn't exist when I was like a 15 year old because I would absolutely be some alt right dickhead now. Um, like just because you're 15, you're a dude, you haven't even encountered simple ideas like privilege yet. And you're like, yeah, why isn't there an International Men's Day? And then if like YouTube existed and I just Googled this and found some well-dressed dude in his basement talking about alt-right stuff, it would, it would make total sense. I'd be like, yeah, this guy's right. And like, and then all the, or you even go find a feminism video on YouTube and all the algorithms would just suggest video, like just 10 other basement Nazis saying why that video was stupid. Like you can't watch feminist frequency without having 10 terrible alt-right misogynist videos immediately autoplay afterwards telling you why feminist frequency is bad like it's shocking and so there's a real problem with the internet today or with culture today where um people from political leanings that in previous generations were easily sidelined by the mainstream as not worth listening to um now have a platform and are easy to listen to and so the act of humiliating those people i think i would like to think contributes to countering that. Um, so that's where the humor is valuable as a political project in that sense. Um, whether it works or whether a little itch jam for making these tiny games really contributes to that, it, um, is it like the, the real impact of that is debatable, but I think it's still valuable either way as the fastest, if nothing else, to kind of yeah, do that. All right. That's fantastic. I mean, I feel like maybe building in on that question, one of the questions that we did have on the list was sort of asking you about the value of humor, right? The mm -hmm. either in game design or I suppose in general, and this is definitely one of them. Do you feel like this sort of catharsis is one of the primary values of, of humor or? Is there other parts that are important to you? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's, I've spoken about the political side probably enough on now, but like, it's valuable as a political project. It's valuable just because it feels good. Like, it feels good to laugh at things. And I think we often don't just um, value enough just the intrinsic quality of a thing that feels good, like, without any other measurable metrics. Uh, and that's that's enough in itself, I think. Um, yeah, and I guess like it, it, um, it, it just exposes things around about the world. It's just a way that art, one of many ways that art can just highlight something about the world that you haven't thought about before and go, oh yeah, that, that is like that, that is silly. And, and I think that's when you respond to humor with, lol, that's so true, is when it's telling you something about the world that, you kind of knew, but had never really managed to put into words before. So I think that that can be a value of humor, which is probably something I guess like The Simpsons did very well throughout the nineties, um, and then ended in the late, early two thousands. Um, yeah, so humor's good for that. But again, it's probably not something I've thought about hugely. I'm afraid, but yeah, yeah. That's all right. That, that, I mean, that's a good answer, anyways. That's your right. answer. Um, <laughs> And I suppose we've been talking a lot about when we're talking about the games that tend to work that are funny, 
there does seem to be a, a strong element of physicality. We're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, in, in beat, it's about the punch and the kick and combined with the musical beat, but also in the other games that, we, that you've mentioned, like Grand Theft Auto or people playing with the Unity engine, it really is about movement sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if you think that certain genres are more suited to specific forms of humor or work better for humor, period? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I think, like, I guess to get a little bit formalist, like, just for a little bit, like, I guess if there's any, like, aspect of the game that I think... No, I'll start that again. I think, like, the thing that's, like, fundamental to video games, above all else, like, is movement. Like, that is a thing always that is kind of fundamental to a video game experience is some form of movement whether that's the movement of like virtual objects through a virtual space um the simulation of physics or whatnot um the imagine managed movement the imagined movement um for a text adventure game or just like the movement of your hand on the mouse cursor or the movement of your eyes or screen the movement of like the laser of a cathode ray tube tv like refreshing the image over and over like there is always movement, which I think is kind of um, really core to what video games do. So even more so than in, I would say, like film or something, which is defined by movement in other ways. Um, and and so I think like the kind of humor you see most common in games is is the kind of humor that's centered on movement, whether that's like on physicality, on um, physics, on, on slapstick and stuff like that, because I think that's what games do especially well. But all the focus on narrative in games, which I think is a massive red herring that game studies in particular has a lot to answer for, where we often say narrative in games and all we mean is literally everything except the mechanics. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of other experiences that just simply narrative is not the most useful way to describe it. And and so I think, where was it going with that? I, I always that always happens when I try to start talking about the narrative issue. Yeah, so so like simulation, physics, movement, that's what games are good at. That's kind of core to the video game experience. And I think that leads both consciously and subconsciously in design to that kind of humor. Um, that is based on either the simulated physics of what's going on on the screen and how different objects in the game world are in, and subjects are interacting, and in the physical world of what the player is doing in front of the screen, whether they're um, being very careful and whatnot with the mouse and then stuff up or um, fall over on a dance mat or whatever. And yeah, and that doesn't mean you can't have other kinds of humor. You can have good writing um, like Grace Bookster and Chris Ligman and others have done. But yeah, but I think that leads to physics being kind of a primary form of humor you see in games because that's kind of the primary form of expression in games is physics. Yeah. yeah, that's I I never thought about it that way. This is actually like a I'm having a bit of a moment, I guess. Um, I mean, if we're thinking about that kind of, you know, the importance of physics and the importance of these mechanics, do you feel like there's a threshold where they become funny? Because I can think of, you know, Congress movement through space in any kind of action rpg but then if it's wildly exaggerated or if there are ragdoll physics it can be funny so mm -hmm. I, i'm trying to 
understand is there a threshold where things that were not funny become funny just because of intensity or is something else yeah. doing the work yeah absolutely and i think like riches have a perfect example of that there's something like something irreverent uncanny possibly even campy but like I i'm not gonna commit to that one in terms of like just watching a this perfectly photorealistic body in this perfectly photorealistic world that like some massive corporation has spent years and decades of money and technology and marketing in convincing people that's what they should want in video games this perfect serene perfect simulation and then a body just gets stuck in a doorway and vibrates violently as it just works its way up the door frame um like like that's hilarious just watching I don't know, like, kind of like just watching, like, I don't know, this posh uppity gentleman being hit in the face of a custard pie or something. Like, there's something really funny there about just watching the simulation do something it's not meant to do. Um, at that, just right there, smack bang in the middle of the uncanny valley. Um, and I think, and again, to go back to Skate Free Glitch videos, like, that's why that's so good. And it's why there's this really great video on YouTube of, like, just... <laughs> of just, like, a goat climbing a ladder in, in some video game. I don't even know what it is. And the dude who's playing it just absolutely loses his shit. He's just crying at this goat just climbing a ladder. Like it and like it just moves up the ladder um while just staying look it just standing in its idle animation just moves up the ladder and you know, it's a pretty clear glitch of what's going on, but it's very funny and of course the dude's reaction to it um adds a huge aspect of that. But yeah, there's just something there about the game industry's obsession or even like fetishization of photorealism and perfect simulation and just this straight facedness yeah of, of game industry's desire for photorealism and those systems breaking um but it's just very funny and which is exactly what goat simulator tries to deliberately target i think and, and yeah. in a sense but to some extent also like by doing it deliberately kind of loses the humor at the same time like it's not as funny um, watching someone dressed up as a Nazi punched in the face on a stage isn't going to be as funny as watching a real Nazi get punched in the face. Um, and I think that's probably the same with Ghost Simulator. It's still funny. It still produces that, but it's trying to produce that. So it's not as funny as when it happens in Skyrim or when it happens in Skate Free or something like that. Yeah. Do you, I mean, talking about the video and that guy who's who's watching the video of the goat climbing mm. it's making me think about when we were talking about streaming and, and sort of this second audience layer but one of the other ways to think about it i'm trying to parse this is through meme culture right the circulation mm -hmm. of these funny moments inherently glitches that are difficult to produce in the first place or to reproduce sort of being circulated and and that being the source of of the laugh i don't know do you feel like that mimetic aspect is contributing to the laugh i guess yeah absolutely and, and like i still think like um for all this conversation and like i guess going back to what i was saying about goose game at the start is that i think most like humor in and around games is actually just the game like it just gets really blurry, but the game acting as a platform from which the player is able to do funny things as opposed to the game itself being funny. And I think that's where a lot of this humor around glitches, around um, live streaming and whatnot 
actually occurs is in, in and well, 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 it used to happen in the lounge room when you're playing with your mates, and now it happens on Twitch when you're you and five thousand other people are watching somebody do it, and just yeah, it's it's the humor of some emergent situation happening that happens to be funny, that maybe was never designed to be funny. It's just of the many emergent things that could have happened in this game, this one happened and it's funny. Um, and maybe the game tried to encourage systems in its emergence that are more likely than not to be funny. Um, but regardless, it's an emergent thing. And then, then it's a joke shared with mate, just like, something that funny if that happened on a night out with your mates is funny to that group and you talk about it you know next time we catch up i remember that time we did this thing and it's funny but you try to explain it to anyone else who wasn't there and it's not funny at all and i think that's the same with a lot of these situations is it's funny if you were there to view it and now the viewing the act of viewing it is so easily shareable through social media through memes and whatnot that you know i can Ladder Goat is as funny when I watch it on YouTube as it was if I was probably sitting around the lounge next to the dude. So, yeah, so there's that kind of humor in games that's definitely amplified by that um, that sharing of the play experience that is very profound in contemporary video game culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I, mean, I sort of have to reckon with this as I'm playing a lot of Fall Guys now, and mm. there's so much aggressive meme marketing around making the game funny, which I feel like it might actually be making it less funny for me. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not yeah, positive yeah. about it. I, I yeah. think we've covered the questions that we had laid out, and we do have a sort of general wrap-up question, but I'm going to let... Uh, Mark and Scott jump in if they have anything they'd like to ask now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so AAA, obviously, like AAA has so many different issues. Where I guess when it comes to designing humor, or designing anything, like firstly, the joke has to survive from the writer through the designer to the designer's lead to the creative director to the marketing person two countries away who has the editorial decision on and who has the spreadsheets about what's going to sell and what's not going to sell um and then they they have their fixation on photorealism and the simulation working as prop as designed and and they you know they can't be too Offensive is like the wrong word, but they, they can't piss off that gamer audience that I've spent 20, 30 years cultivating. So they're kind of like, most of the time, kind of like hamstrung into a certain kind of humor, which is more the Grand Theft Auto 14 year old boy humor, because that remains the primary consumer demographic that AAA depends on and which has put itself into a situation where it depends on it, as various researchers have kind of shown. Um, Whereas, yeah, like an indie developer or, or a hobbyist or an amateur developer, an artist developer, like whichever way you want to split those, can just be like, I have an idea for a joke, jump onto Unity in half an hour, have done the bare minimum for that joke and just put that on on ETO and be like, here it is, here's the joke. And then, again, thanks to meme culture, thanks to all that, it can still spread quite easily. So, yeah, I, I think like... 
production environment is absolutely going to in some way shape what kinds of humor you're more likely to produce. Um, yeah, and I think just like the AAA environment, again, speaking very, very broadly, is kind of, is, is, is quite, is so rigid in what it can and can't produce and, and it has to be if it's going to return the amount of money investors require and whatnot. So it's not really anyone's there. So, so like, yeah, it, it's, sorry, where am I going with that? Yeah, so because of that return on investment, it just, is, has to play it safe, has to play it conservatively, and that kind of determines what can and can't, not what can and can't happen, but what is more and less likely to happen in that space. That's amazing. So I suppose our, our, our lead out question is whether there was anything else that you wanted to share, something that maybe you wanted us to ask that we didn't, or something mm -hmm. that's occurred to you throughout the interview? Yeah. Um, hmm. Give me a second so I don't think of it as soon as I disconnect. Um, <laughs> Take your time. I swear I had something like 20 minutes ago and now I've lost it. Uh, ah, 20 gone. minutes ago? What were we talking about 20 minutes ago? Genre? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah, like, sorry, there's just one thing around the Fall Guys thing that you mentioned is that, like, I guess the other interesting kind of humor that intersects between games and memes and social media is that kind of like meme reference to something that happens in a game that like you get it because you have also played that game and it doesn't rely on that synchronous experience of seeing the ladder climb the goat, but <laughs> of seeing the goat climb the ladder rather, <laughs> but of um, seeing a little meme about something happens again. Like, huh, I get that. I know that. Like there was one the other day. That photoshopped, um, what's his name? The InfoWars dude who's always shouting. Um, kind of like photoshopped that time that he like ran after somebody down the street, just like running at a little four guys person haunting somebody at the finish line and then getting eliminated before I could get to him. And it was just really funny. I was like, yeah, I, I get what that's referencing. Um, or there was like a headline, that headline recently that um, there's like a 0.47% chance of a meteorite hitting Earth before the. US election in November. Um, and like a lot of people, somebody shared that like normal people, 0.47% chance, phew, I'll be fine. XCOM players, oh God. Um, and you know, just referring to how XCOM players always seem to have probability work against them. And you know, and that's funny. So, so there's that kind of humor as well about intersection of meme culture and games culture where it's funny because you've had that experience yourself in a video game, not because you had that you shared that exact moment of that, that instance of that experience with other people. So that just came to mind as another um, type of humor, I suppose, in contemporary games culture. Yeah, I'm sure Mark is laughing as an XCOM player. So you mentioned these AAA game studios and how they focus on the 14-year-old boy demographic, but some of these companies have been around for 20, 30-plus years. So do you think that that's the demographic they're still focusing on, or have their targets changed? Yeah, that's a good question, but I think, like, um, I'll try not to talk as long as I already have on this topic, because I easily could, but, like, you can see through, like, researchers, like, um, Graham Kirkpatrick probably being the main one, who've done this research on like games discourse back in the 80s and 90s and essentially it's where words like gamer and gameplay came from and like 
in the late 80s and early 90s, especially around Nintendo and Ben Sega and Sony or whatnot, is that the gamer audience as like a young male teenage audience was very deliberately cultivated as um, this kind of ever-present perpetual audience that will always just buy stuff. And I like, I like to compare it to like the Wiggles, that kids band we have in Australia, which I feel like is popular around the world where, like, they don't need new songs. They can always just sing Dorothy the Dinosaur and Hot Potato because there'll always be a new audience of just, like, four-year-olds who love that song, who didn't, who, like, who will age out of it, and then there'll be more more four-year-olds. And, like, AAA can can just release another Call of Duty, another Assassin's Creed, another whatever, because there will always be another audience of 14-year-old boys who are into that. And that's, like, that's a very broad stroke, obviously, but, like, that's kind of the general business model of the AAA console space of um, just another FIFA, just another whatever. And like, I play AAA games a lot. I'm not somebody who's like, oh, there's no creativity in AAA, but the focus on franchises and keeping safe is central there because it is primarily targeting, despite all the statistics that show how diverse the player bases are of those games, there is a still a, primary demographic focus on young males um and almost in a way yeah that, that just i think just hasn't kept up with how demographics are changing with tiktok and whatnot like like there is this kind of like baked in culture that started in the early 90s around um grunge and nirvana and like your parents don't understand how cool the playstation is but whatever um and that kind of still exists in a way that just simply hasn't kept up i think in some ways but in other ways, there will always be there will always be fourteen year old dudes who haven't discovered privilege and power yet who love jokes around swastikas because it's funny to just defend people and like I totally get that. So that's what they're going for. Um, but I think I think the other thing too, thinking like say these companies are quite old now, a lot of them and absolutely, but but the, the workforce in video games still has like such a massive high turnover. And if you look at any industry statistics like the GDC state of the industry survey or IGDA satisfaction surveys, the average age of game developers in the industry still doesn't, still hovers around 30. Like no matter how long the game industry has been around or how long these companies have been around, the average developer is still only 30 years old. There's like, there's a cliff just after 30 where developers have just had enough of this industry and they leave because of underpayment, because of crunch, because of burnout, because of, a general kind of fraternal culture in a lot of these studios. So the massive like rooms and rooms of just primarily, but decreasingly so young men making these games, I, sorry, of men making these games, I, I still young men. Um, and still there just is a lack of institutional memory. There's a lack of, um, yeah, well just institutional memory and like in AAA at least cross studio kind of discussion which indie has broken down a lot because they don't care about NDAs the same way. But yeah, AAA is a very slow moving beast. Um, it's only just figured out that subtitles are too small on modern televisions. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm rambling now, but the, the point being that like, despite the age of these companies, the age of the actual developers is still usually not that old. Sorry, that got really rambling there, but. Yeah. That was spectacular. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was holding my head for 
<laughs> for most of it going, oh my god, yes. Yeah. So, um, that's more in my field of research and humor, so I can go on my that's something I feel like I can rant much more confidently on. Yeah. Well I mean it makes sense that sort of the the specific type of humor would also stay frozen in time if the average age of people who are in development also is similar. Like the the subject material might change with the times, but the sort of humor or the, the vector might be similar, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I can't say for sure. Like I haven't done too much research in AAA, but like, yeah, the these companies that do hire three thousand people or whatever, the majority of them are just graduates out of games programs or five years out or whatever. And at ten years out, they're sick of working in that environment and they leave either games or AAA. Um and yeah, and yeah, there's just a real um it's games just have a massive institutional memory issue and a massive in fact that that has to do with game preservation, that has to do with like um just craft design discourse, just how we talk about how do you do this thing. Like you just have studios who just are constantly reinventing the wheel like two blocks from each other because they're not allowed to talk to each other because they've signed NDAs. So they're just designing different wheels and rather than doing something with the wheels that have already been designed. Um and again like that's where indie and amateur and artist spaces who are all just using Unity um kind of put in a circuit breaker there because like you're using unity you don't care about your technology that's not that's no longer a proprietary important thing anymore so you can just grab something off the asset store you can just share some physics funny thing you made with somebody else so there's an openness and a collaboration and stuff happening beyond AAA, which um is very very valuable for games creatively and design wise and like just a simple version of that is just all the glitches. If you see you see indie devs tweeting glitches now like, lol, that wasn't meant to happen. Here's my broken thing. And increasingly you're seeing AAA devs do that as well. And I think indie has kind of forced AAA to be a bit more transparent with that in a way that it's really valuable. And and another place, sorry, this is way off topic now, but like the union movement. Like the union movement in games didn't start in AAA and people keep forgetting that it started with like poor twine makers in Oakland who are like, this is fucked, let's like talk about unions. Like people like Liz Ryerson. Um, and and that's like the reason we have any union discussion in games right now is because of the people not working in AAA. Um, so yeah, so also everything that's happening that is not AAA that is in many ways facilitated by platforms like Unity, um, not determined by, but facilitated by, has is kind of helping all these discussions go in new directions. Yeah. Anyway, none of that has anything to do with humor, sorry. I, I mean, I think it's all underlying to how humor is getting made by these companies, so or how yeah. it's getting coded into games. So no worries yeah. at all. <laughs> um, but I think we're at the one, we're a bit over the one hour mark, and mm -hmm. I think we've covered everything, so I don't want to keep you much more than that. Sure. Uh, yeah, so... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Great, so happy to help. Well, I wasn't sure how useful I would be since I'm not like a humor theorist, but um, hope that was helpful. That was our interview with Dr. Brendan Keogh. Thanks again to the Tag Lab for supporting the series, and thanks to you for listening.